0: good morning everybody I have this theory Uh, tell me if you believe this way you can tell a lot about a person by where they get their news all right not to typecast or stereotype or pigeonhole but you know there's some people on one end of the political spectrum they get their news from this source there's some other people on this other side of the political spectrum they get their news from the other source but I'm going to ask you in a moment, I'm just cluing you in, I'm going to ask you in a moment to say your answer out loud in, in a minute. So be thinking. Do you get your news from AM, FM, XM? From Anybody read a newspaper anymore? Or maybe a, a newscast? You watch the, the evening news or you open up an app on your tablet or, or device? Um, my son just gradu, not graduated, graduated high school in May and started college, and he finished bragging a little bit his first semester with a 4.0. But a couple of years ago, I remember handing him a newspaper, and there was a, an item of interest in the sports page, and he read it with, with great interest, and he, he was folding the newspaper, handing it back to me, and he struggled. Like, he couldn't, he couldn't actually fold the newspaper, like those old maps on a trip, you know, when you couldn't fold it. But I don't know if his you know, future's bright in light of that. But anyway, like, where do you get your news from? You ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Okay. Hopefully nobody heard you because they were saying their, their answer. But our staff team... Um, we went to the civil rights museum we didn't go when trump was in town we waited a few days that week and we went to participate i think it's the best thing in mississippi we were there and later i learned that they uh one of the local newscasts uh, took a picture of our staff team we were we we're on the news nick made it van jeff hightower i took a picture posted on social media and a couple of folks are like who watches the news anymore now those are folks uh, under 20 years old i think but my wife look her favorite Uh, her source of news is her favorite newsman and she watches him he's got shiny uh, white teeth, uh, wavy hair uh, Armani polished, good looks, glamorous style and when she's watching him in the evening I can't ask her about her day, talk about the kids or share my feelings things that are so important to me because she's watching her favorite newsman my favorite newsman is Jesus So, so I win but have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that Jesus came as a news announcer? He came bearing news. Look at it. It says, it says this in several of the Gospels. Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues and what? Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Oftentimes when we think of Jesus speaking, we think of him as a, as a teacher, as an instructor, as a giver of life advice. But think about Jesus as a preacher, as a proclaimer, as a news announcer the kingdom is coming it is here and it is good news it's not fake news hey roman empire hey people of america in 2018 this isn't fake news this is it's breaking news and it's global and it's important and it's vital for our essence for our existence he brought the kingdom and through his life his mission his message he manifests the kingdom he says extend the kingdom and he teaches us hear me he teaches us to pursue the kingdom Matthew 6.33, some of you know it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus probes the heart and he tells us that because he knows that his kingdom is not the only kingdom. He knows that his kingdom is unseen and though it's eternal, it's not visible, tangible, or audible. And we can miss it because we're seeking to add all of that stuff. And he's saying to us, and maybe it's the hardest thing about the essence of our humanity... If we seek his kingdom, then he will add these things. And some of us are just laboring and striving and toiling and killing ourselves and those we live with. As we're seeking to add these things. And not seeking his kingdom. He has a kingdom and when the church got funny about it and got off the path... The Apostle Paul, the trailblazing missionary, said in Romans 14, 17, when they were arguing, church leaders, imagine that, were arguing about what's clean and unclean, about food and drink. And he says, the kingdom of God is not food or drink. It's joy and peace and righteousness. That's the kingdom. But there's a kingdom of this earth, and how are we doing? How's the world kingdom today? There's nuclear proliferation. There's polarization, separation. There's terrorism, and there's racism. There is a kingdom, a kingdom of this world. A few months ago, I was with a good friend. and We were running our dogs, and we got off the path. We went over a hill, through the woods, not to Grandma's house. But an old man came out of the house. Apparently, we were on his land. And this man asked us, he said, hey, what's your dog's name? Which is the way into my heart. And I thought, this guy's going to be friendly. I got a, got, a, got a new friend. And he started screaming at us. I'm a pastor. Man of God resting, enjoying a day, and he's screaming at me, and I I look back at him and said, do you want a piece of this? Not really, but I thought about saying that, but the guy's whiff comes to Fondren Church, so I didn't. But hey, whose kingdom is he living in? What's his kingdom? His kingdom is the kingdom of self, the kingdom of himself, the kingdom of this is mine, this is mine, and I must guard it. This is my kingdom. I'm going to guard it. I'm going to keep violators and trespassers off of it and if they get on it i'm gonna let them have it what's your kingdom if we're not careful we'll be the same way we'll be the ornery old guy worried about our stuff and claiming our territory and missing something vital If we're not careful there is a kingdom and jesus is saying that you are invited into god's kingdom isn't that good news Jesus invites us in. It's the essence of this series. We close it out now, this four-week series called The Invite. And we've looked at, as some of you know, coins and sheep, sons and daughters. Last week, banquets and excuses. And this morning, we're looking at seeds and soils. So if you will, turn to Mark chapter 4, Mark 4. We're going to put it on the screen in a second and read it. And as you're turning or preparing yourself to look on the screen, let me ask you, any farmers in the house... Anybody grow up on a farm or you're currently farm, this is, wow, not a hand goes up. Okay, we are, we are, fit right here, okay, we are city dwellers, except her. Uh, and you were reluctant to admit it, but that's okay. Uh, we have a farmer here, someone who grew up on a farm. We are city dwellers. Green Acres is the place we ought to be, I guess. Mark chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 to 8, and then we'll skip down to 14 to 20. Uh, here, is, here he is with this story. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Anybody afraid of birds? You ever see Alfred Hitchcock, the birds? He'll compare the birds to Satan in a second. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. Verse 6, and when the sun rose it was scorched and since it had no root it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. That's a good yield. That's, that's an abundant harvest. That's good stuff there. Verse 14, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, where they hear, not the birds, but Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, and the ones, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, and then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Verse 18, and others are the ones who sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But but those that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. When I was a little boy, picture this, I had blonde hair. I was in my Sunday school class and I heard this story for the first time and I thought, you know, I know I know where the teacher's going with this, right? I know where Jesus is going with this. And four types of soil, and three are bad, and one is good, but you're still dirt, right? At the end of the day, you're just dirt. But let's talk a little bit. In this parable, we see some important components to understand. Some of it is readily uh, understandable. We'll dig a little deeper on some of these, but you see the sower. Now, who is the sower in the story? The sower is Jesus, and Jesus invites, here, here, we partner with him. Jesus invites us to scatter seeds. He invites us to partake in the kingdom to do the work of the ministry to labor in the harvest to do the, the work of sowing so the sower is jesus and you this is one time you can put yourself in jesus's company okay me and jesus we're called to be sowers and then there is the seed and that is what that's the word and then there's the soil and it, let's start with the soil and, and um i would say unpack it a little bit but that would be corny but let's let's consider the soil you see four uh types of soils that he talks about. Now, before we do that, let's back up into American history. No farmers in the room, but maybe you've studied this, the Soil Conservation Act. Uh, One of the world's worst natural disasters occurred not in the Amazon uh, jungle, not on on the Alaskan shoreline, but in the heart of America. Uh, They call it today the flyover states between New New York and LA, but in the great Midwest, And the upper plains, there was, they call it the dust bowl. There was a severe drought of, some say, biblical proportions where livestock were reduced to skeletons and houses were abandoned. There was a massive migration land that was once lush and fertile, became scorched and barren, and it was ugly. And agronomists came in, uh, government and private sector folks worked together, some of our smartest minds, to teach the American farmer about the importance of soil and what can't be taken for granted soil underneath and topsoil and ideal soil is a composite it's a mix of sand and clay and organic materials acidity and moisture are all important but what the farmer learns and we learned the hard way is that there are some conditions hear me that are out of our control there are some things that we just can't control we can work we can pray we can, we can cultivate the soil, we can learn, we can get people together and make plans, but there are just some things that are out of our control. Now, the sower, that's what we're called to do. We join Jesus in partnership. The seed is the word, there's power in it, we'll talk about it in a second, but the soil is the condition of living. All of us, it's germane to all of us here, but there's just so much that's out of our control. We see the... The, the soil, we'll walk through these quickly, but we see the soil that's, that's hard soil. And this soil is, it's just surface level. Now, I bet nobody in the room aspires to be a shallow person. Yeah, I just want to skim along the surface, no depth. I don't want to be known or loved. I don't want to engage. I don't want to really uh, jump in full throttle, do a cannonball in the deep end of life and love and relation. I just want to be a shallow person. But that can so, so often be our tendency. And the first kind of bad soil in Jesus' parable and his story is the hard soil. And it just, it's just snatched away. Now, I love you enough to tell you this, but here Jesus talks about birds. He goes deeper and says it's the enemy. And the older I get, look, I've gone through, I've gone through stretches and periods of doubting my faith, of, of, of questioning things. Of wondering things about the supernatural and all that Scripture teaches. And I stand before you today just resoundingly convinced that we have an enemy. And the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And can I say, because I love you, that he's working in some of your lives. And he snatched something away. I'm not saying, have you been to church? I'm not saying, have you gone to that retreat or done that conference or done that Bible study or connected in a group? I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying... That it's shallow because a work that began has been snatched. And the enemy has done that. It's just fallen on the surface and it got taken away. It it never went in deep. The second kind of soil you see besides the, the hard soil, it's the rocky soil. And this, like the thorny soil, it was received. It was received with joy, but something happened. And it withered. It just withered. Look. Consider this in Jesus as he's drawing a crowd. He drew a crowd because people wanted to be around somebody who taught with authority. Someone that had this crystal clear clarity. And rang out and talked about the news. The breaking news. The news of the kingdom. And people wanted to be with him. And Jesus, at a critical juncture in his life and ministry talks in John chapter 6 about the blood and the body, about drinking his blood and eating his flesh. This is the very reason why Nero and Rome in the first century a world accused the early followers of Jesus, the people of the way they were called. In Jerusalem, Galilee, Antioch, all these places, they, they, they accused them of being cannibals because of this. And of course, Jesus spoke not literally, but figuratively. And it says this about many who were around him when Jesus said these hard sayings. John 6, 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It was soil that was rocky. It, it withered. It, it didn't remain. And there's that last soil besides what's hard and rocky. It's that which is thorny. And I think this is probably most apropos to a, an American church crowd In 2018, what happened when the word was sown? It was received. Something was planted. It went a little bit beyond the surface. But what got him? This this great unholy trifecta. The, The cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. The desire for other things. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We've done a series on Ecclesiastes a couple of years ago. But Solomon in Ecclesiastes 2, particularly in verse 4 through 11, says, I have built this great empire. I have built homes. I've planted vineyards, streams, reservoirs, gardens. I have amassed silver and gold, herds and flocks. Slaves, male and female. I have denied my eyes nothing that they have desired. I have refused my heart nothing that it has wanted. Now that's like the life. Like I'm getting everything and everybody I want. And he says, and I survey. And it is meaningless. It is chasing after the wind. A week from today, some of you, like it's a Holy Day, you'll be getting ready to watch Super Bowl. And Tom Brady, again, will participate. A few years ago, a famous 60 Minutes episode included Tom Brady being interviewed. Leslie Stahl, I believe, was a reporter. He sat down with her. A lot of, tons of hits on YouTube. Look, up, look it up later. But Tom Brady talks about, at the time, he had won three Super Bowls. And he looks at her and talks about his life and his heart. And you wonder about the soil of his life, the condition of his heart. And he says, I, I don't, it just doesn't seem to matter. Here he is with a supermodel wife who makes more millions than he does. And it's just easy to conclude that they, he's sort of a modern Solomon. He, he gets what he wants. He travels where he wants to go. He has the things that he, everything that he needs and almost anything that he wants. But there is just, there's a hollowness there. The cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things can choke it out. Now, Jesus in his brilliance knew that soil matters. It's not just the power of the word. The soil matters. This is why, this is why two people can come to the same church, sit on the same pew, hear the same sermon. One could be listening to that sermon and that person could ask the profound question, what do I do now? They're cut to the heart. The other person sitting next to them could ask the profound question, when is lunch? It's the condition of our heart and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire of other things can choke it out. And the word, the power of it is anemic. So we have have the soil, hard, rocky, thorny, and we have fertile soil finally we get something good it's the fertile soil that yields fruit in its season again a a gregarian agricultural based economy if jesus was telling a story today there's no farmers in the room one young lady halfway back raised her hand but if jesus was here today he'd probably tell a story about traffic right you'd say hey when a man is sitting in traffic and people go oh yeah there, there you go yeah traffic.' WOO!" preach Jesus or a guy logged into social media he was happy and for 10 minutes he was happy and then he stayed on social media for an hour then he started envying things and getting unhappy and discontent like Jesus would tell a story we could relate to that but we missed some stuff with the farming but don't miss this there are some conditions inside of you that can choke out the work that he wants to do in you but there's this fertile soil and when Jesus talks about fertility he's talking about Fruit, when Jesus talks about faith, he's talking about fruit. He's talking about change and transformation. He's talking about that which endures. He's, tasting, he's talking about tasting and seeing, encountering and experiencing the life that God promises and never being the same. He talks about growing in your awareness, your breathing, living awareness that he loves you and that love is for you and to be shared with other people. There is a soil that leads. And here's what we need to do. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. When do we stop preaching the gospel to ourselves? When we're home, when it's over, when we can't do it anymore. To remind ourselves of his love for us. It's why when I look around the room and I see some men that I know and they're leaders. And I see you here and I'm proud of you because you're, 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 you're here. You know a preacher is going to say this, but can I tell you, you need this. You need a Sabbath rest. And if you have a family, you need to sit with your family. And if your family wants to do something else, you need to lead your family here. And it's an act of humility and it's an act of worship. And you need this. You need the row. And Nick's going to remind us in a minute as he closes the surface that you need a circle. You need, you need the pew and you need a few. You need some people that can get deeper into your life and you need the chair. If it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour to sit in that chair, that place, to hear his word and to write down questions and to listen and to learn. And that's fertile soil where it'll take root in us. And Jesus is big on fruit. He says, I've chosen and appointed you that you might bear fruit. And this is my Father glorified that you might bear much fruit. In John 15, one of my favorite portions of Scripture, he says, it is my goal and it is the Father's good pleasure that you, what? That you bear fruit, much fruit, and it's fruit that remains. Some of you, I'm proud of you. You, you ran a marathon, half marathon full marathon yesterday downtown fondren and all all around when you go 26.2 or 13.1 you're running around a lot of jackson aren't you some of you did the team relay i'm not as proud of you but but you 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 ran and that's okay but there were a whole bunch of people at the start line and uh i don't know the numbers um, but i know there were not as many at the finish line right so how do you finish how do you endure When God begins something, how do you see it through? I want to say to you that we have to continue to preach the gospel to ourselves over and over again. Look, if you're on staff, if you're a leader here, I'm I'm really talking to you. I'm talking to me and I'm talking to you. But keep your heart soft to the things of God. Do not lose your first love. That's what matters. And so we have the soil and we have the seed. I'm going to start hustling now, but we have the seed. And what is the seed? We said the seed is the word. Look at Isaiah 55, 10, 11. Long before meteorology, uh, long before we learned about condensation and evaporation, God was ahead of us. And Isaiah said this, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields, here we go, seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. That was prophetic, it was a precursor to Jesus and his teaching. In the Greek New Testament, there are two words for word. One is graphe and then one is logos. And this is logos. This is not referring directly so much to the scripture but as to the person of Jesus. In the beginning was the word, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Logos Jesus with us. There was power in the seed. The first reference to the Messiah is Genesis 3:15, a seed, a seed. There's power in this. So we're going to say a few things about the seed. The seed is power. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3, an early follower of Jesus who went through some great persecution. He turned. He denied Jesus. And we were talking at our small group. Look, look at me for a second. Do you know that when you follow Jesus, you're going to have doubt? Some of us think that you're never going to doubt, that you're never going to be tempted to turn away. Like that's a part of following Jesus. And Peter did that. And later Peter would say in 1 Peter 1.23, since you've been born again, not of what? Perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding what? Logos, the word of God. There is power in this. Hear me. Go home today and take some stone or a brick or some metal and drop it in the ground. Bury it. Pour some water on it. Let some sun, I think the sun's coming out later today. Let some, some of God's green sunlight Bounce on it about 4 o'clock and just pray over it and fertilize it and do all that stuff. But if you put a brick or stone or metal in the ground, listen, nothing's going to grow. A seed, though, has power. The Word is a seed. And it's power. Secondly, it's power released. How is the power released? Church, we need to hear this. If you're bored in your Christian life, if you're riddled with just ho-humness, and monotony listen to me how you hear the seed the word planted in you james chapter we've learned from peter now james the half brother jesus says in james chapter one like receive the word the seed implanted in you receive it with meekness be humble he says hear it listen to it you know there's a whole group of people on the earth they know if you're listening or not they're they're And they have this, their brains and their body have this, like they, it works like a sophistic, sophisticated radar system. Like they can pick up signals and process it, and they know when you're fully present or not. They know when you're listening. Posture, facial expressions, tone and tenor, all that come into play. Are you listening? And James would say, you know this, right? Some of you, a lot of you heard it, James chapter 1, be, be quick to listen. Slow to speak and slow to anger. How are you doing with that one? Like, I don't do well. Like, I've I I got people I work with, people I live with. Like, I, I don't do well with that. Like, that's, I got to do better. I watched a lot of football to rest. And, and I, I do believe you can see the glory of God in a well-executed football play. And so over the holidays, I watched a lot of bowl games. Um, Susan had things for me to do around the house, but I just felt like the Lord was leading me to watch football. And I remember Coach Mark Rick, who has a pretty powerful Christian testimony. He coached at Georgia, Uh, now is at Miami. And there was an episode on the sidelines. It was it was a couple of bad calls in a row. I felt bad for the guy, but he he's known for like kind of like Tony Dungy or just a calm, cool like he's he's one of those guys who's quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Like that's who he is. Like I'm not that naturally. But that's who Mark Rick is. And this guy, he just exploded. Like His coaches and players were holding him back. He wanted the refs. Now, imagine he, had he got to the refs. He would not have listened well, would he? He would not have said, hey, tell me about that call. I don't initially agree with it, but I'd like to listen and hear your angle. No, no, no. That's, that wasn't going to happen. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us that the Word is powerful and it ought to be a seed planted in us. But in order for it to be planted in us, we have to receive it with meekness and we need to be slow to speak, slow to anger. We need to be quick to listen. Scripture is saying in our own words, be quiet and be calm. And when you and I are quiet and when we're calm and when we're meek, The word can be implanted in us. I'm walking with some of you through some difficulties of your life. It's an honor to be a pastor. But it's taken these circumstances to humble you, to get you calm and get you quiet. I love you and believe in you and believe the work that God is doing in you. But you have to calm and quiet yourself to receive the word is power It's power released. And don't miss this because we're hyper individualistic. Like we want quick application, immediate results. But Jesus is preaching about the kingdom. In the context of this, we see it's power unexpected. Power, power released, power unexpected. The Jews at the time, they were looking for a blaze of glory. They were looking for a mighty warrior. They were looking for someone in a single act to overthrow the Roman Empire. And into that, Jesus comes and says, the kingdom is like a farmer. Scattering his seeds on the ground. You see, the kingdom, it's slow. It's silent. Its strength is in its weakness. To live, you must die. That's the kingdom. And it's the kingdom that a lot of you don't want. But that's the power. And that's the life. And that's what doesn't perish. So you have the soil, you have the seed, and you have the sower. And that's our job. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. I love this. I pray God makes us this church. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Fondren Church, folks, if you give money financially and you invest here, you know, you help us in places like Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Some of you were here that Sunday not too long ago when one of our friends from Cambodia stood here and he spoke one of Drew Mellon's good friends, and he shared with us the work that God is doing. Some of you have gone, some of you have an opportunity in March over spring break to to go and to be a part of this, and God is working, and there is a church there, and there's a church around the world, and there's this life-giving message that we need to be a part of in scattering the seed. There are seasons of sowing. I don't want to make you nervous, but there's four of them and I'll just kind of highlight them. I'll skim the surface. But there's the sowing season and then there is the, there's the rejection season. How many of you like rejection? Same number of farmers we have in the room, right? Nobody likes to be rejected. Can I tell you, I'm probably the biggest people pleaser in the room. Like that's my cardinal sin, if you will. Man, I don't want to be rejected. I mean, I I was pretty... It's pretty smooth that summer in Colorado with her, man. I, you know, I used humor and kind of played a little bit and postured and marinated the steak on the grill. You know, to make sure that when I let my heart out there, that it was what it's going to be rejected. What well, wouldn't be rejected? I got her. <laughs> there's four bad, There's four soils and one of them's good. That's one out of four. Now, if you play baseball. You, you can make a multi-million dollar contract, right? I'm a little, little more than that, and you got like a $25 million contract. In baseball, that's not a bad number. But who wants to be rejected three out of four times? Now, here's Jesus. Hear me, kingdom folks. Hear me, church leaders. Hear me, future church leaders. Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, and I'm going to need you to be innocent as doves and shrewd as serpents. And oh, by the way, you'll, be, you'll re- experience rejection more than you'll experience reception. And here's the thing. I struggle personally at times with a lack of fruit. Like I want God's best for our church. I want our kingdom to to build within these walls and extend way beyond Sunday. And I want to see the waters of baptism lit up and I want to see the prayer altars. And I want to see people making decisions and moving closer to Jesus. And for this love and this gospel to extend far away from Fondren through us. But it is He Here's how Paul stated it when the early church was fighting about who their favorite preacher was. He said it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. You see, there's the seasons. The sowing season is permanent, but there's the season of rejection. There's the the waiting season. Then there's the growth season. I love it when we see stories of the friend that you've been praying for and inviting when they find faith, when the spouse that you've been hurting for is sitting next to you in church, when the prodigal comes home, when the lost is found. Many years ago in Southern California where we live, I got to know a couple of guys and followed and appreciated their story one guy named Brian was a pastor at a local church there and Brian was building a fence and next door to him was a manly man an ex-marine named uh, Dan and Brian Dan was the kind of guy that you would want to enlist to help you build a fence and he was just a macho dude and Brian asked Dan for help and early on that day as they were starting their plan getting their stuff ready and measuring and everything uh, small talk occurred of course and Brian asked Dan, this pastor asked Dan, this ex-marine, "Hey, what music do you listen to?" And he was expecting like Iron Maiden or, you know, uh, one of those old, you know, one of those '80s rock band things. And he said, uh, "Celine Dion." <laughs> he didn't know at the time, but Dan had a deadpan sense of humor and was just kidding with him. But for weeks, he thought, "Hey, this guy listens to Celine Dion. He's got body piercings and muscles, ex-marine, and he likes Celine Dion." They built a fence together. They became friends. The Subject of faith came up, and Brian, being a pastor, didn't want to be pushy, but he asked Dan if he'd gone to church, if he goes to church and Dan had some hangups, emotional from his family, a family full of hypocrites, and intellectually evolution was a big thing. He invited him to church and didn't show up. Dan moved with his family across town thirty miles away, and he lived next door to somebody else who asked him for some help around the yard, and that person attended the same church. And Dan, he he had to get to a point like so many of us where the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things, cares of this world were choking him out to the point of he was hurt. He went to church, and the sermon that day was addressing hard questions. And just like a laser beam, it went right into his head, into his heart. And it was the beginning of him coming to faith in Jesus. And I got to see, I got to see Pastor Brian baptized Dan and his whole family one day. We sow seeds. We're going to experience rejection more than reception, but we we sow seeds. That's what we're called to do. The Word is powerful, and we are called to sow seeds. As we close, I want to tell you the true story. I get to travel. I see a friend of mine. uh, As pastors, it's important to get away and to get out of town, a lot of times out of state, and to interact with other leaders. And one of the things I've been doing as I've gotten older is I'll ask some pastors that I admire, tell me your best story. Like, tell me just a, this had to be God, like, no way I'm going to believe this story. And I've had the opportunity to follow this through even the news cycle. But years ago, in Indiana, in Bloomington, a family with a little seven-year-old sassy girl named Julie Julie was um, she sowed seeds like she just like wanted people to know about Jesus she would take her allowance money and buy brownie mix she would bake brownies and cut them up in squares and wrap them in cellophane on a Christmas morning they opened presents and read the Christmas story and little Julie seven years old said let's go to the campus to IU and let's pass out brownies And her parents knew better. They're like, you know, it's Christmas. Nobody's going to be on the campus, but all right, we'll go. So they went, and only folks on campus were foreign exchange students. Julie set up a little table with her parents right outside the library. And a Muslim from the Middle East named Hamid walked into the library. Before he did, he got a free brownie from Julie. He went in and studied. He came back out. He asked for another brownie. And he asked Julie, why are you doing this? She sassy. She had her hands on her hips. She said, because Jesus wants me to do this. He said, can I go to church with you? She didn't consult her parents. She said, yep, we'll pick you up next weekend. (laughs) What's cool about this story, it gets better. He comes to church with her, with them. And they didn't know any better. He didn't know any better, but... She asked him to come, not to big church with big people, but into the children's ministry environment. And he sits on the floor with her and hears a story about Zacchaeus. And this man of great intellect, obviously some seeds had been sown prior to this, some soil was happening, and he, he said, if Zacchaeus, if God loves a man like Zacchaeus, maybe he can love me. And when um. When I was in New York in September at the United Nations Prayer Gathering, Ravi Zacharias was the speaker, and I got to see that man at this event, Hamid, who came to faith in Jesus because a seven-year-old girl named Julie partnered with the Holy Spirit and Betty Crocker. (laughs) And I wonder about us, so wouldn't it be a tragedy? Wouldn't it be a tragedy if I poured my heart out for four weeks on a sermon series called The Invite. And we were just a culture. That never really invited people. Like I want, I want stories at Fondren. For his glory. We plant. We water. He causes. He causes the growth. Easter Sunday this past year. Right right here. There was a, like an 85 year old woman. Hadn't been to church in like years. and She was here because. Carly invited her to come to church. She came with Carly because Carly's Carly's like the sweetest, despite Daniel, she's like the sweetest thing ever. And she invited her, the invite. It's a party, it's a place at the table. It's not reserved for just CEOs, VIPs, MBAs, PhDs, for the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame. That's what Jesus said. We follow him. So I pray. I pray that we would be sowers of seed. And uh, he wants to surprise us. There have been times where I think, oh, you know, my expositional, argumentational skills will lead this person to faith. And like, it's just flat. And when he's used me, it's been in the most surprising way. It's a lot of rejection, a little bit of reception. And it's usually been when I share my life or I ask to help build a fence or admit a need or bring up a question. And he works. Paul told Timothy, hey, in Thessalonica, here's here's what we need from you. You're a leader. I want you to share the gospel and your life. And we make two mistakes related to that. Some people just share the gospel and they don't share life. And some people just share life and never share the gospel. And we're called to do both.